So again, let yourself listen at ease. And as you listen, sense what um, there is to learn that's true in your own experience and what's not, throw away. Over the past uh, number of weeks, in January and February, we've been working on Monday night with a central teaching from the Buddha's first talk on liberation, on how human beings can find happiness and freedom of heart, um, outlined in what is called the Eightfold Path. We talked about right understanding, sensing the possibility of greater compassion and greater wakefulness and freedom that is there in us as in every being. And right or wise attitude to be open, to see for ourselves, to really look deeply. Um, And then right speech, right action, right livelihood, which really are practices of the fundamental basis of compassion to act in our words and deeds with care for ourselves and other beings, that happiness can't uh, be fulfilled in our life without attention to how we act. And then last week, um, right or wise effort, the effort to be present, to be awake, um, to release that which entangles us and to cultivate or rest in that which is beautiful and free in the heart. So this evening, we go into the last two steps of the Eightfold Path, which are called right mindfulness and right concentration, or wise mindfulness and wise concentration. And we'll take wise concentration tonight as the teaching or the topic, Um, because it's a quality that deepens all of the others. It deepens our understanding. It deepens the the best intentions of the heart. It deepens compassion. And wise concentration and calm are blessings. In the Sanskrit or Pali language, there's a chant that goes, Nati Santi Parang Sukang, Nibbanang Paramang Sukang, Nati Santi Parang Sukang. And the translation of these words of the Buddha is simple. There is no higher or no deeper happiness than a peaceful heart. There's a joy and a steadiness and a delight and a fulfillment that comes when the heart is at peace. And this is the essence of the invitation of the Buddha to remember in ourselves our own Buddha nature and to discover that peaceful heart. Now, our modern Western society has almost forgotten that. Wendell Berry, who writes, in a time that breaks in cutting pieces all around when men voiceless against thing-ridden men set themselves on fire, it seems too difficult and rare to think of the life of a human grown whole in this world, at peace and in place, and yet, and yet it must be done. What we tend to seek in modern society is gaining, collecting, fulfillment of desire, movement, ambition, Uh, Wes Nisker, who's one of the teachers here at Spirit Rock, says even when people come to meditation, there's a kind of inner conflict. We're looking for both endless excitement and perfect peace. (laughs) What gets forgotten is simplicity. The joy of the Amish to walk from one place to another and take pleasure in the steps of walking to do things by hand. Remember the admonition from Thoreau where he wrote, beware of any activity that requires the purchase of new clothes. (laughs) 
And Gandhi spoke about spiritual life as offering a kind of blessed monotony, the monotony of the rise and set of the sun and the moon, of one's own breathing, of the faces of one's loved ones, of the tending of one's garden, of the care for things that matter. It's the rhythm of the farmer. And even though the society, the 24-7 society, you know, seems to have forgotten it, it is in the rhythms of our cells, in the trillions of cells of our body, in the neurons, and in the, in the fabric of our existence is the rhythm of life that's not 24-7 computer time and merchant time and so forth. It's the Buddha seated under the rose apple tree, just coming to rest. It's the rhythm of the flute and of the seasons of rest. In calm, the body opens. In calm, the heart opens. And when you live as I did in the monasteries and the cultures of Buddhist cultures of Southeast Asia, Thailand and Burma and so forth, they speak all the time about the ease of the heart. There's a wonderful Sanskrit word, sapaya, which means an easy heart or restful heart. And the greeting even, I wish you an easy heart. No matter what's happening, I wish you an easy heart. I wish your heart to be at rest or at ease. It's an attribute of the wise, of those who are deeply happy. This is Rilke. He writes, The Swan, his poem, this clumsy living that moves lumbering as if in ropes through what is not done reminds us of the awkward way the swan walks and to die, which is a letting go of the ground we stand on and cling to every day, is like the swan when he nervously lets himself down into the water, which receives him gaily and which flows joyfully under and after him wave after wave, while the swan, unmoving and marvelously calm, is pleased to be carried, each minute more fully grown, more like a king, composed farther and farther on. And to die is really to die in every moment, because every moment is a birth and a death, and every day is a birth and a death. One of the major differences between the psychologies of the East and the West is that Western psychology has a lot of, and and psychotherapy, has a lot of intensity invested in understanding and investigation and discovering and looking at how things are working in patterns and sense of self. But it does not have the training and the understanding of deep calm and concentration. There's a kind of stillness that can come into the mind and heart that allows us to inquire into the reality of this human life that no amount of thinking and observation can take us to without that quiet mind. And we all need it. We know this in our bodies. Periods of rest, time of driving without the radio on, time to walk in the rain or notice the spring flowers or feel our steps, as I said, when we're not going anywhere in particular, but just taking a step down the street. It's incredibly important in our daily life to have times of calm and connectedness. Without it, we lose ourselves, we lose our soul. When it rains, as it has been today and this evening, I love to read this passage from Thomas Merton, where he went out into a little hut in the woods to spend the night. And he writes, The rain I am in is not like the rain of cities, 
It fills the woods with an immense and confused sound. Think of it, that rain, all that speech pouring down, selling nothing, (sighs) judging nobody, drenching the thick mulch of dead leaves, soaking the trees, filling the gullies and crannies of the woods with water, washing the places where men have stripped the hillside. What a thing it is to sit cherished by this wonderful, unintelligent, perfectly innocent speech, the most comforting speech in the world, the talk that the rain makes by itself over the ridges and hollows and watercourses. Nobody started it, and nobody is going to stop it. It will talk as long as it wants this rain, and as long as it talks, I am going to listen. We need this, the time to hear the rhythms of our heartbeats, to feel our body, to listen to the still small voice. And we need to learn to nourish those places in our life that give a calm heart, to reflect about what allows us to have an easy heart, and to choose that over and over, to choose an easy heart to choose that nourishment. This quality of peace or calm, and it doesn't mean a removal from the world, it actually means being more present, more sensitive, more alive. This quality of calm supports and deepens the step of right or wise concentration. Concentration is a steadiness an absorbed, undistracted presence where the mind and heart and body are whole and unified. And it's a central element of all that we do and value, whether in art and music, to be really concentrated as one makes it, or whether it's writing code all night long, you know, making computer programs, or whether it's in healing or nursing, or sailing, or lovemaking, or commodities trading, or raising your children. The quality of steadiness and presence and wholeness allows that art to which we give ourselves to deepen. It is a key to the contemplative and spiritual arts. A story for you. A young man who had a bitter disappointment in life ran away to a remote monastery, said to the abbot, I'm disillusioned with this human life, wish to attain enlightenment and be free of suffering. But also, I must confess, I'm a bit lazy. I have no capacity for sticking long at anything. I could never do long years of meditation and austerity. I'd be drawn back to the world again, relapse, painful though it is. Is there any short way for people like me? (laughs) Listen carefully. (laughs) There is, said the abbot, if you're really determined. Tell me, what have you studied? What have you concentrated on most in your life? Ah, nothing really. We were rich. I didn't have to work much. I suppose the thing I was interested in was chess. I spent quite a bit of time at that. The abbot reflected and then said to his attendant, Call such and such a monk. Tell him to bring the chess board. The monk came with the board. The abbot set up the pieces. Then he sent for his sword, for this was a Zen master and a samurai teacher, and showed it to the two and said, Monk, you have vowed obedience to me as your abbot, and now I require it. You will play a game of chess with this youth, and if you lose, I shall cut off your head with this sword. I do promise that you will be reborn in paradise. (laughs) If you win, I'll cut off the head of this young man. Chess is the only thing he ever tried, and if he loses, he deserves to lose his head also. They looked at the abbot's face questioning and saw that he was serious. He would do it. They began to play. With the opening moves, the youth felt the sweat trickling down to his heels as he played for his life. 
The chessboard became the whole world. He was entirely concentrated on it. At first, he had somewhat the worst of it, but then the other made an inferior move and he seized his chance to launch a strong attack. As his opponent's position crumbled, he looked covertly at him. He saw a face of intelligence and sincerity worn with years of austerity and effort. He thought of his own worthless life and a wave of compassion came over him. He deliberately made a blunder and then another blunder, ruining his position, leaving himself defenseless. The abbot suddenly leapt forward and upset the board. The two contestants sat silent. There's no winner or loser, the abbot said. There's no head to fall here. Only two things are required, and he turned to the young man. Complete concentration and compassion. You have today learned them both. You were completely concentrated on the game for the sake of your life. But then in that concentration, you could feel compassion and sacrifice your life for it. Now stay here for a few months and pursue our training in this spirit and your enlightenment is certain. And he did so and was and lived happily ever after. (laughs) You know how those end stories end, right? Maybe you can feel it in the story, what it means to give ourself, to bring ourself, our body and mind and intention and presence so fully to what we care about. Concentration is a key to the spiritual arts. In the Gospel of Thomas, Jesus says, If thine eye be single, the whole body will be filled with light. If you can see in a whole and single and complete way, everything is filled with light. Or William James, who spoke about how we live in a single limited state of consciousness, yet, as he said, all around us lie infinite varieties of consciousness separated by the thinnest veils. And when we concentrate and pay deep attention, in any moment those veils can open for us and we see in whole new ways. We are trapped most of the time as we go around during the day in what Alan Watts called the skin-encapsulated ego. You know what Miss Piggy calls moi. Right? (laughs) Yet we all understand there are deeper ways of knowing about this mystery of being incarnate in a human body, in this human life. And as we look at the nature of our own mind, our own consciousness, if we look in, it is open, it is empty, it is spacious, it is. It is void. And in this void, it can take on any kind of shape and identity. We can feel young, we can feel old, we can be identified with other things. Who is listening to these words right now? Who are you? Are you that young person that's in there? Or the old wise person that's in there? Are you the neurotic one? (laughs) Come on, is that who you really are? Or are you the one who's listening and thinking and seeing all that? And behind all that, there's this knowing that says, wow, look at that, all these possibilities. I could be any of those. Maybe you're the space of awareness. O nobly born, it says, O you who are the sons and daughters of the Buddha, remember this, remember the pure, clear light from which everything in the universe comes to which everything in the universe returns, the original nature of your own mind. Turn toward it. Trust it. Rest in it. It is your own true nature. It is home. Concentration, this deep ability to pay attention the undistracted quality, is what shifts consciousness. And we can train it in meditation, 
But it also happens to us, we all know it at other times, in an accident. All of a sudden, we're not just who we think we are in this kind of going around shopping mentality, you know. Or with a great loss, our consciousness shifts. Or making love sometimes. It's partly what makes it so extraordinary. Or on a long hike up in the mountains. Or giving birth. Talk about getting concentrated. You get very concentrated on one thing happening. Or dying, which is really giving birth in reverse, it turns out, if you're with someone who's dying. I mean, for some people, in some years, it was through various sacred substances. You remember that, seeking a shift of consciousness. But the point isn't the substances. The point is that they become the gateway beyond the small sense of self. I remember somebody asking Salvador Dali, you know, the amazing surreal painter in the 60s, whether he took drugs and he was insulted. He said, I don't take drugs, I am drugs. (laughs) This is the art of concentration. And there are a thousand ways the breath, one breath after another, the body, sweeping the attention through the body over and over, prayer, the repetition of a prayer, prayer of the heart over and over, the loving kindness meditation, may all beings be happy, may I be well, may I be peaceful, over and over, a mantra, Om Mani Padme Hum, a candle flame, a visualization, a mandala, a feeling, like compassion or forgiveness or loving-kindness. Or through fasting, initiation, the rolling of stones, the Native American practice, the sun dance. Like any great art, playing piano, learning to paint, to master the art, one does it, and does it, and does it again. I remember being on the banks of the Ganges in Benares and walking into a temple where they had done a seven-day and seven-night chant to Rama, to God. And they didn't even stop to sleep or eat. There was drinks there for them. They just circled around the altar and there was music in the background playing and they chanted and they gave themselves in ecstasy and boy you walked in that temple after seven days of people non-stop circling and chanting and their eyes were huge wide open and they weren't looking at you at all they were looking out into the vastness of the universe it felt like the temple didn't have a roof on it it was just space there What it means to concentrate, as the Buddha is suggesting, is to give ourselves so fully to our spiritual life that the thoughts and plans and distractions of the past and future begin to drop away. The great way is not difficult, said the third Zen ancestor. The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. When love or attachment and hatred are both absent, everything becomes clear and undisguised. Make the smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. Can we be present without judging, without trying to change it, just for what we're doing over and over and over again? Fully present. Learn to rest in the present with the breath, with our step, with this moment, wakeful, not planning for the future, not worrying about the past, coming to rest in the eternal present. To concentrate, which means to discover or awaken this capacity for inner peace, requires a certain purity of heart forgiveness, trust, loving-kindness. Otherwise, you worry all the time. All the unfinished business comes to the surface when you start to meditate. 
And it's really interesting because it is an art. Notice what happens when you try hard to concentrate, whether it's on your breath or your body or loving-kindness meditation or whatever you choose. A candle flame. The harder we try at first, the more there's a reaction in the mind. Have you noticed? The thoughts are so busy and the plans and the fears and we sit and we start to try to get quiet and all the trauma that we carry comes to the surface. The unfinished business of our life, the suffering we pass through, the grief we carry, the distractions. What we encounter when we begin to tend our mind and heart to wholeness are all those energies that keep us from wholeness. What we call the body of fear. All those energies. And the harder we try sometimes, the stronger they get. You begin to see the minute you say, all right, I'm going to sit here for 10 minutes and just be aware of my breath. And it's not asking a lot of your mind, is it? Let me just feel my own human life and breath for 10 minutes without any distraction. Try it. See what happens. 10 minutes. Five minutes. A minute. Really, huh? One minute. I'm just going to be with you, but maybe you can make a minute if you really struggle. right? But what happens is you feel how strong the habits are that keep us from the present, how strong the fear, the distractedness, the energies that are unhealed in us. the small sense of self that we're so identified with. And yet, the good news is, and we know it, that the heart and mind can be trained. Just like playing piano or painting or whatever we love, if we give ourselves to it, whether it's counting the breath from one to ten or one to a hundred, or sweeping the attention through the body over and over, relaxing the body and feeling it more and more deeply, or Going on retreat, if you've never done a retreat, a week retreat, 10 days, two months, if you dare, it's a fantastic thing. The first couple days are difficult. You encounter all this stuff, and you sit down, there you are looking like the Buddha, you know, to anybody else, and inside is all the unfinished business. You're tired, you're sleepy, you're excited, you're... you're, you're restless, you're worried, you're afraid, all these things come. There you are sitting, and it's like storms inside. And you just sit and gradually come back over and over. There's a kind of unwinding, a letting go, a a freeing, an opening that happens if you do it over and over and over again. And it's like tilling the soil until something beautiful can grow in it. The truth is that concentration conversation too, probably, if it's good, doesn't happen so much by struggle. It happens by letting go. Not by fighting, but by discovering a kind of grace, returning to the center. It's like steadying a canoe in the water. You don't want to do it in some awkward and rapid way. There's a tenderness to it. You know, we talk about the image of training the puppy, bringing the puppy back over and over. You don't want to beat the puppy. I'll get back here on the breath. Pick the puppy up, stay, sit, very gently, training the puppy with a kind of balance and interest and ease, a relaxation. The balance is to be alert, but not grasping or striving, just bringing back like you're the gardener. Let me feel this next breath. And the next one, and the next one. Let me feel the sensations of the body just here. Let me do the phrases of compassion one more time with some feeling over and over and over again. To connect with them, to relax, to steady, to remain awake. There's a Zen story of an old Zen master was chased by a tiger, as the story is told. And he ran and ran and came to the edge of a cliff. And because the tiger was right behind him, he went over the edge of the cliff and grabbed a vine, a small vine that was there, which was holding him. And he looked up and there was the tiger at the top. And he looked down and there was a huge drop to the bottom of the cliff. And two small mice, one black and one white, came out along the cliff and began to gnaw at the vine. This is the image. 
And then he turned his head the other direction, and there in the crevice he saw growing some wild strawberries. And he picked one of the strawberries and ate it and said, ah, oh, how sweet it tastes. It's really a myth, this story, you know, it's a piece of poetry. The tiger is behind us, it's true, every one of us. And the cliff is down there, and it's also true in this human birth. It is the reality. And the little black and white mice are gnawing on the vine. And they represent all of the opposites of the world. So what are we going to do? Can we take this moment, which will never be again, we don't know how many moments we have, and use this moment to really taste this life? When the Buddha speaks of right or wise concentration, again, he says, learn to live in the reality of the present. This is the place of freedom. Do not pursue the past, said the Blessed One. Do not lose yourself in the future. The past no longer is, the future has yet to come. Looking deeply at life as it is, in the here and now, the practitioner discovers the ease of the heart and freedom. What you learn if you practice this art of wise concentration or right concentration is that you can let go and be here more fully. You can relax and float and swim in the present. You can be at ease. Even in difficulty, you can be at ease. And as concentration grows, the mind and the heart become steady and malleable and pliant and easy and light and they can be directed. It's really an amazing thing. As you become more present and you're not buffeted by the distractions of worry and fear, when you learn to release those, which we all know how to do some, when you deepen this, there comes what's called in Thai a lightness of heart, Jai Pong Sai, and the heart kind of expands in the mind, very easy. You become still and unwavering, and there's an inner delight that comes, that's there in every being. No matter how much we've suffered and been traumatized, that is not underneath what we find in the deepest place. And we all know it from those memories of walking in the mountains or hearing such a magic piece of music that we're transported beyond that small sense of self. Or swimming, snorkeling in the warm seas somewhere, seeing all those magical fish go by. Consciousness in its true nature, who we are is that, pure, clear. And when we rest in pure consciousness, the body is both alive and still. And the heart or the mind is filled with light. When that phrase from Jesus, the, the whole body will be filled with light, it is not a metaphor. It's a direct experience. And you can sit in meditation or in other kinds of circumstances. And when you get the mind pure and resting and not distracted and just present, rapture starts to arise and joy and happiness, deep, thrilling happiness of all different kinds and colors and lights, and then your body starts to dissolve into light. And you have to open your eyes. If you're in the dark, it seems like the room is filled with light. You know, and even with your eyes open, you can see it. It's quite fantastic. And the joy of it is wonderful. I remember just, you know, being on retreat in the forests of Thailand or the monasteries of Burma, when I would get more still and concentrated that I do it than I do in my daily life. And I'd be out walking, walking meditation, and my body would feel like I was floating above the earth. You know, I'd be sitting, I'd have to open my eyes and peek to make sure I was still on the ground. And there would be light. It was as if, and it was vast, like to the edges of the universe. You just would dissolve into light. And the heart or the mind, as I said, it becomes malleable. You say, stay on the breath, and it just rests on the breath. You say, feel this body, and it just rests in the body. We can learn to do that. Great rapture and stillness. And then it feels like you've been cleaned, purified, 
washed like somebody put detergent in the you know in the washer put you on the super cycle and ran you through and your mind is just clean it's like a crystal goblet light shines through and there's just rainbows and everything sparkles and all your senses the sounds even the you know difficult ones um, are made of light and when you become still again walking in the mountains or at the side of someone who's dying, which concentrates the mind incredibly, or sitting in meditation, then the workings of this body and mind become more clear. We step out of the skin encapsulated ego, the small sense of self. And this is what all the mystics and visionaries and prophets and so forth speak about. Kabir writes in this poem, He says, inside this clay jug, which is our body, there are canyons and pine mountains and the maker of canyons and pine mountains. All seven oceans are inside and hundreds of millions of stars. The acid that tests gold is there and the one who judges jewels and the music from the strings no one touches and the source of all water. If you want the truth, I will tell you the truth, Kabir says. Friend, listen, the Holy One whom I love is inside. What happens when we get concentrated is then you discover that concentration allows our own consciousness to go in different directions. Sometimes, if you look deeply, it becomes like a microscope in what is called kanika samadhi, And you begin to notice moment to moment what makes up this life. And at first it feels like just me. But as you feel the body, what seems like a solid body starts to dissolve into the four elements of earth, air, fire, water, heat, pressure, vibration, tingling, light, and dark. And then those four elements become the 28 elements. And if you feel even more deeply, it dissolves at some point and just becomes the play of energy and the different chakras. Or you pay attention to feelings, and there's pleasant feelings, and unpleasant feelings, and neutral feelings, and then different reactions and states, and all of a sudden are revealed the 52 mental qualities of feelings that arise, and the 108 kinds of consciousness in Buddhist psychology, and they all just kind of show themselves to you. So the Buddha says, what is this wise concentration? Develop the steadiness of heart for one who has begins to understand things according to reality. And what do they understand? The arising and passing away of all of the elements of seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, feeling, and thinking. Of the body, the feelings, the perceptions, the mental formations, the mind itself. And in seeing these things, one is freed from identity with them and becomes liberated. Resting in this place is the middle path which the Blessed One has discovered, which allows one to see and to know, which leads to peace, to understanding, to enlightenment, to freedom. So one way you look, and the the more deeply you look, the more it dissolves. It's really like quantum physics, the inner experience, and things that seem solid wherever you look, they just dissolve and it feels like a river of sensation. And the tiniest little moments of experience called kalapas, which are like the atomic level of perception. And you get to a point where you move your arm, and it's not your arm moving, it's more like sand. There's an experience of the arm here, and it's a different arm over there with all different sensations. It's kind of hard to describe it, but it's delightful. Or sometimes, when you become concentrated, instead you look the other direction like a telescope. Instead of looking down and things dissolving into space, you look out into space and consciousness becomes vast like the sky, boundless and silent, as huge as the whole universe. It's called the sphere of infinite consciousness. And consciousness, your own consciousness is that. So you can rest in it. You let go and you say, let me be one with space. And because the mind becomes malleable, it does it. It's quite fantastic. And through these practices, 
you can enter many states of consciousness. Some of them in the Buddhist text are described as the jhanas or samadhi states, states of pure rapture, states of joy, higher states not of rapture, which disturbs the heart, but of absolute utter peace, states of light, states of darkness, states of universal compassion. Or sometimes it's more like visions and you can turn the channel in consciousness there, you're sitting on retreat or in meditation, and there will arise visions of all the ways that life comes into form, and you start to see birth in all its forms just show itself to you. Or sometimes you're sitting, and there arises some pain or suffering, and you turn consciousness to say, I would, I would now understand the sufferings of the world. And you start to experience directly in your own body and mind the sorrows and sufferings of existence. So that this one person who described, then I saw I was all the mothers who have lost their beloved children in war, accident, or disease, who even today cannot feed their hungry children. I was the mother trapped in an earthquake in Armenia, struggling desperately, unable to save her child. I was the young men, all the soldiers in the senseless battles. I was the cows and pigs on the way to the slaughterhouse. I was the modern generals and the Roman soldiers, the welfare mothers and the slumlord, the victims and the perpetrators, all who would die, all who were in pain. And I sat there, watched over by the pain of the world. So much my heart wept, and I could see as it broke my heart open that this was not my pain, but it was the pain of the world. And sometimes you sit and death shows itself to you, the consciousness of death and all the ways that death happens. Sometimes it's greed and hatred and you see the fear and racism that's been there for woven in the consciousness of humanity. And as you sit, you realize that none of those are who you are and there comes a really deep compassion. Maha compassion, the great compassion, to see beings who are caught in this sense of separateness and don't remember who they really are. As Lama Kalu Rinpoche put it, you live in illusion and the appearance of things. You live in illusion and the appearance of things. There is a reality, but you do not know it. And when you understand, you will discover that you are nothing. And being nothing, you are everything. That is all. And again, this isn't a philosophy. It is the direct experience that concentration and attention and depth of spiritual practice in a hundred forms can bring. The Visuddhimagga, the path of purification, this volume that's about a thousand pages, it's a, one of the great texts of our tradition, of the tradition of the elders. It has a whole section on the supernormal powers that arise from concentration, how to know the minds of others, how to fly through the air and walk on water when, you, when the mind gets really concentrated. I asked one of my teachers about it. He said, well, you do, if you want to walk on water, you have to make yourself one with the earth element in such a deep way that when you think and reflect and bring into the mind and the heart the element of earth, you are so profoundly concentrated that the water in front of you starts to turn into earth. I said, well, does it really work? He said, I don't know, the best I've seen anybody do is to make the water turn kind of mushy and muddy like quicksand, but they weren't really able to walk on it very well. I think they did better in the Buddha's time. <laughs> if you're interested, it's all in here, folks. You know, you can try it yourself, knowing past and future lives, all those kinds. It saves a lot on airfare, right? <laughs> and finally, in the end, all these different states that are possible for us as human beings and that we forget until these amazing moments of accident or death or, or lovemaking or whatever takes you out of this small sense of self. Beyond all of that, there is the central question asked by the Buddha, to whom does all of this happen? Who are we really? Who is it that expands or contracts or is born or dies? 
Who is looking? Who is listening just now? Are you the body? Nah, I hope not. Well, are you the thoughts? Spare you, right? (laughs) Are you your emotions? They keep changing. Well, maybe you are the awareness of the thoughts and the sounds and the body and the emotions. But even that awareness changes, doesn't it? Sometimes you're aware and sometimes you're not so aware, huh? Or maybe if you look back, who are you? Maybe you are that space that is timeless, unborn, beyond here and there, beyond coming and going. You are that space, that pure, open knowing within which all things arise and pass, that mystery. Who am I? I don't know who I am. I look, I can't find myself if I look really deeply. Ah, you can't find yourself because you are nothing and everything. That is the place to look. T.S. Eliot calls it the still point of the turning world. At the still point of the turning world, neither flesh nor fleshless, neither from nor toward, at the still point there the dance is, but neither arrest nor movement, where past and future are gathered. Except for the point, the still point, there would be no dance, and there is only the dance. Only the dance and no one dancing. In this knowing, there is a sense of the divine movement, the movement of the spheres. And it's not far away. It is the reality into which we are born. It is the place from which we come. It can be discovered in this very life through simplicity and stillness and attention. It's the invitation of the Buddha. The enlightenment of the Buddha is not about piety or being good, but it is a transformation of identity, a liberation from the small sense of self, from the fears and concerns and all the sorrow it creates. It's not that you don't have it. You still have a personality in your body. You can use it, but it's just not really who we are. A transformation of identity to that which is free and timeless. Thomas Merton puts it this way, life is this simple. We are living in a world that is absolutely transparent and the divine is shining through it all the time. This is not just a fable, it is true. It is called the deathless, our true home the reality of not moving forward and not going backward and not standing still. And when we come to this place, there is, there arises in this great consciousness. There is born in it tremendous compassion for everybody who's caught and entangled. There comes tremendous faith and trust in the human heart because we know who we are. There's a graciousness and ease because we're not going anywhere. And where are you going? We will all, as Rumi says, end up going through the same gate. What is the hurry? (laughs) Wise concentration, the calming and collecting and steadiness of the heart that lets us see deeply is this step of the path of awakening. This poem, again, from Rilke, called Buddha in His Glory. Center of all centers, core of cores, almond, self-enclosed and growing sweet, all this universe to the farthest stars and beyond them is your flesh, your fruit. Now you feel how nothing clings to you. Your vast shell reaches into endless space, and there the rich, thick fluids rise and flow, illuminated, 
in your infinite peace. A billion stars go spinning through the night, blazing high over your head. But in you is the presence that will be and always has been when the stars are born and all the stars are dead. Let's sit for a minute. Remember that you can live in the reality of the present, that you can let go, that you can let your heart be at ease and not get lost in the fears and confusions. You have done it before and you can. Remember that you can deepen in steadiness and collectedness and wholeness of being. Feel it in you. It is part of your own true nature. Let go, trust it. Let yourself reflect on the blessings of a peaceful heart, of a heart at ease. Remember that it's possible for you One of the beautiful things I noticed in the teachers that I've most admired and kind of beloved teachers, Ajahn Chah and Nisargadat and the Dalai Lama and Mahasi Saito and so forth, was to see how much at ease with themselves they were. Wherever they were, they were just at ease. What a, what a beautiful thing to discover. So this is the invitation of the Eightfold Path to fulfill in our lives. 
I'll complete the Eightfold Path next week. And then in the month of March, where I'll be teaching the second month of this two-month winter uh, silent retreat, there will be four other, um, or three other teachers. Uh, Lama Paulden will come and do some teachings on, uh, since I'll do mindfulness next week, on the practice of um, concentration and mindfulness from the perspective of the nature of mind in a beautiful way. Um, then Yvonne Rand, who is a very wonderful Zen teacher, will come the following week. And then Nina Wise, who's a quite remarkable um, teacher, will be here for the last two weeks of March. I was asked um, to do a prayer for a woman who is in a coma with a woman who has four children named Fran. Um, and before we go out into the night, I'd actually like us to do a little bit of a chant. Um, and in it, place in your hearts all those who are ill or in danger or in need of compassion, all those far and near, the people struggling for justice and the ones who suffer and the ones who create suffering. They need it as well. Um, and let yourself pay attention this week ahead, if you will, to what nourishes that steadiness and calm in your life. Maybe I'll ask next week, we'll have a little quiz. What did you find that really brings you into the present? And when you are in the present, what is it like? So the chant we'll do to end this evening is the word namo, which comes from the Sanskrit root, uh, um, um, or it is the root also for the greeting in India, in Hindi, when you meet someone and you bow and you say namaste, I honor the divine in you, or I honor who you really are, I see you, really. Um, And it's the first word in many of the great Buddhist texts, namo, means to bow to, pay respects, to honor. And so we'll chant that word, this word namo, nine times. And as you chant, you can let yourself offer your prayers, your blessings, bow to, with compassion, to those who are ill, those who you'd like to offer your blessings to in this whole earth. Then we'll go out into the rains, that rain that's so, as Thomas Burton said, um, not selling anything, yeah, just itself. <clears throat> Na mo na. truly be at ease this week. May you rest in the great stillness. May you find blessings awakening all around you. Thank you. Take care. Drive carefully in the dark and the rain.
people sometimes walk here on Monday nights, so look out for them. See you again. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.